From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Uh, Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 5 really quickly. It will be on the screen as well. Verses 2 and 4, it says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that it produces, so that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Look at somebody and say hope this morning. Hope is here. We're in a new series or we're in a series called Hope is Here. Does anybody believe hope is here? Anybody believe hope is here? We're looking, looking specifically at the story of a family who suffered tragedy and found themselves hopeless. It's in a story in a book called Ruth. Uh, Ruth is right after the book of Judges, and the story takes place actually in the time of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it says that there was no king of Israel, and people did what was right in their own mind. Kind of sounds like a little bit of our world a bit today. And so this is a story um, of, of hope in hopelessness, of finding hope in hopelessness, of finding redemption and, and how God takes a broken situation and brings hope to those in despair. So if anybody's taking notes this morning, you're the real MVPs. Um, write this down. What are the chances? That's the title of today's message. What are the chances? What are the chances? Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus as we look at your word this morning that you would bless us, God, with insight. Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, you'd speak to our minds. Lord, I know, God, that you can speak one thing about one situation and do another in another place. And so I just pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would move powerfully and you'd speak to every heart and every mind and change us by your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning, maybe there's someone here today or a few of us, God, or maybe we know of someone, God, who finds themselves in a hopeless situation. And I pray that through your spirit and through your word, we'd be encouraged, we'd find strength, and Lord, we'd leave here with hope. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, so give me, give me a nod, a wave, a yup, if any of these words have ever resonated with you, right? Have ever resonated with you. Alienated, forsaken, uninspired, powerless, oppressed, limited, doomed, captive, or helpless. These are what some psychologists describe as the nine types of hopelessness. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be a psychologist this morning. Just so you know, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not going to even pretend to have the, the fix-it solution. Do these steps, and you will find yourselves coming out of these. But if we are honest, I think we've all found ourselves in these kinds of situations, hopeless, helpless situations, or seasons of life when we feel a little hopeless. When I was in high school and college, my parents went through a separation and divorce. It was a, it was a very helpless time of my life. I remember um, going home, and our home felt very uneasy for years and years and years. It was like there was an elephant in the room, and you dare not speak to the elephant, because if you do, the volcano would erupt, and our family would end. And ultimately, the volcano erupted, our family did end, and my parents parted ways, and at the time, it was very, very, very messy. It was a very messy situation, and I remember the feelings I felt during those, those years. And for, from my perspective, that time of my life lasted about five to six years of the, the 
actual stuff. And then there was the ripple effect of that. And there's still the aftermath to today. But I remember feeling as a, as a you know, later teenager, helpless. I remember having feelings of, of abandonment. I remember having feelings of, of hopelessness. And it was a time in my life that I felt trapped. If you can imagine in your brain, like you're, you find yourself in a cave or a cavern, and the only way out that has the hope coming or has the light coming through the darkness has been blocked by a cave-in, right? There's just no glimmer of light whatsoever. That was a season I felt hopeless. And, I, and if we're honest, I think we've all been in seasons like that. We've all been in places and in situations where we feel hopeless, where we need a little glimmer of hope that what we're feeling won't remain. Am I right? Or what, what we're going through won't always be like this. But what if hope wasn't just a feeling? Right? What if hope wasn't just a, a frame of mind that we step into or something that we get at, at an office space on a, on a nice comfortable lounger or in a hospital bed? What if hope was something more? What if hope wasn't found in a feeling or frame of mind, but it was found in a person? What if what the answer is you were looking for for your situation, or maybe that the situation that someone else that you know of is going through that isn't just the answer for eternity, right? But it's the answer to the, the alienation that you're feeling, the, the uninspiration, the helplessness, the loneliness, right? The emptiness inside. What if the hope that we're looking for was actually found in a person? And we believe that to be true. I believe that to be true. That's why I'm going to preach it this morning. That that hope is Jesus. That Jesus is the hope that is here. And so maybe we find ourselves in situations like that. But, and, we, and we can't have the feeling. We're, 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 we're hard-pressed to feel hopeful. But that's when we can look to a person. Say, I don't feel hopeful. I don't feel, I feel helpless. I, I, I find myself not getting any of the strength that I need that's come through this state of mind that everyone's just saying, hold on to hope. I can't hold on to hope because you know what I'm going through? But I can look to a person in that moment. His name is Jesus. So Ruth chapter 2, we're in this story. Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, are on their way back to Judah, God's land, the promised land, the good land. They had just been living, if you were here with us last week, they had just been living in Moab, which was a foreign country. And they ended up in Moab when Naomi's husband, Elimelech, moved his family there because there was a famine in Judah, they found themselves in a, in a suffering situation. Elimelech dies in Moab, her sons die in Moab, and now Naomi and Ruth are left, both suffering loss and are helpless. They have nothing left as they head back to Judah because the famine had ended but each other. Now the part of the story that we're going to look at this morning introduces a new character and his name is Boaz. Anybody ever heard the name Boaz before? I think Boaz is such a killer name. If I have another son, I don't know if my wife is here, but... Boaz. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads, right? She's laughing at me like, you're crazy. She knows we're all done. We're, it's, it's the end. <laughs> if your name is Boaz, I mean, no offense, I actually think it's a really cool name. Uh, Boaz is actually a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. He's wealthy. He's a man of integrity, of good character, and he's what Naomi describes as a guardian or kinsman redeemer, which meant that Boaz had the um, responsibility as a relative of Elimelech to act on behalf of his relatives who were in trouble or in danger or in help. It, it literally means one who rescues or delivers. That's what it means. So Ruth says to Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 verse 2, it says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone else in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead uh, my daughter, 
So she went out, she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Look at somebody and say, as it turned out. As it turned out. Hope trusts that God is at work behind the scenes. Hope trusts that God is working behind the scenes. See, this is God's providence. This is God working in mysterious ways behind the scenes for the good of Ruth and Naomi. Like, what are the chances that Ruth just goes out to, to find a field so that she can get some food for her and Naomi, and she stumbles upon the field of Boaz, who's, who's a Limelech's relative and a kinsman redeemer? What are the chances that she's just looking for food, so she's like, I'm just going to choose a field. I'm going to go somewhere the harvesters are going. I'm just going to pick up the scraps behind. I'm going to glean a little bit, whatever I can find, so that we can survive, and that she stumbles upon Boaz's field. What are the chances? Some people call this a coincidence. But I think some coincidences are so big, but they can't be a coincidence except for the hand of God. When we were invited to, uh, to come here at Parkway Church in Corona and meet with the search committee, they, they asked us to come have dinner with them one night, and we thought, we're coming about three hours from where we were, and we're planners, so we're like, let's just let's scout out the area, let's get, some, um, re- get, a, get a realtor, and we'll go see some houses and just check out what the market is, because if something happens, we want to be prepared. And it's three hours driving with a newborn baby. Like, it was just, well, relatively newborn baby. And so we, uh, we came up, and before we met with the search committee, we looked at some houses. And we came across this one house that we just fell in love. If you've ever been house shopping before, sometimes that happens. You just find a house, and you're like, this is it. And you can auto- automatically start picturing yourself in the home, right? As you can picture yourself in the kitchen, and you picture yourself in the living room, and you're like, oh, this is where this will go, and we put this here. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at me like, like I've never been there before. But that's, that's where we're at. We're like, this is, this is the house. And so we, an hour later, we come, and we meet with the search committee, and we're eating, eating dinner with them. And one of them says, you know what? I was, I was driving through that neighborhood. And I felt like God said, I have no one here. What are the chances that while we don't live in that house, and they had no idea, they had no idea that we were looking at houses at the time, never mind in that neighborhood, that while we don't live in that house, we live in that neighborhood. What are the chances? When I was a a young adult, I was living on my loan trying to get through Bible college, and my bills were racking up, and I found myself in a little bit of a situation where I didn't have any money to pay my bills. It's about $350. And I went to church the next Sunday, and, and a couple who had invested and poured into my life over the years and just loved on my P.S. If you're, a, if you're an older person, you need to invest in the younger generation. Just find somebody young and take them out for lunch once in a while because you have no idea the impact of that lunch will make on their life. So Barry and Lynn Welch were their name, and they invested in my life over the years by just, by just loving on me, inviting me over for dinner and lunch. And so they said, hey, let's go out for lunch today. And I was young, right? I was living on my own, didn't have any money. And so I'm like, yes, I will take it, free food, absolutely, let's go. And so we go out to, I think it was Applebee's at the time. We went to Applebee's, and I'm just enjoying the meal, and we're enjoying the company, and we're talking about life. And near the end of the lunch, they, they pull out an envelope. Barry pulls out an envelope. He says, hey, we just felt... We just felt led to give you some money. Would you take this? And I open up the envelope, and there's $350 in there. What are the chances? What are the chances? What are the chances? My sister, uh, or sorry, uh, a few weeks ago, we were, we were at the Brigden Fair. You guys know what the Brigden Fair is, right? I'm just learning what this is. 
And we were, we were walking through the big Brigden Fair, and we saw the Christian farmers, I believe they're called, of Ontario were there, and they were handing out walking sticks with the little bead gospel. If you remember the, the yellow, you know, black, red, uh, white, and green, I think it is. Um, just basically the gospel message through some beads on some walking sticks that if anybody listened to them tell them the gospel, they'd get a free walking stick. And so we saw these walking sticks everywhere, which was awesome. I'm like, everybody's hearing the gospel right now. And so we went over and we start chatting. We mentioned, hey, we're Christian and, you know, I'm a pastor in Corona. And so she proceeds to show us the little beads and we get a walking stick, which was great. And they had hockey, little hockey sticks for kids with the colors on them too. And so our boys got some hockey sticks and, and uh, you know, we go home and that was it. A couple weeks later, I get a phone call in the office here. It's a few weeks ago now. And this lady's on the other end. She proceeds to tell me about her sister who lives in Corona. She lives in Chatham, but her sister lives in Corona and has inoperable cancer. Her name is Bernice, so we can pray for her if we remember today. Her name is Bernice, has inoperable cancer, but she's like, I met someone at your church, I believe it was the youth pastor and, uh, at, at the fair. And I said, oh, you know, whereabouts at the fair? I thought maybe Pastor Mitch was there, you know, maybe this is cool. She proceeds to tell me about, about where she was. Hey, where I was with the Christian farmers of Ontario and where Hannah walks. I said, whoa, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that wasn't the youth pastor, that was me. <laughs> she's like, no way. I said, yes. She's like, what are the chances? What are the chances? Hope is trusting that God is at work behind the scenes. See, God can divinely orchestrate events to line up in a way that provides and allows his will for your life to be accomplished. You may not see it. You may not even think or feel it's happening. But it does not mean that he is not at work. Because hope says, I feel hopeless. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm trusting that you're at work. I don't feel it, but I'm trusting that you're at work. It happened to Joseph. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, right? He ended up in the house of Potiphar as a slave. And then because of an accusation of Potiphar's wife, he ends up in jail. Situation after situation, circumstance after circumstance, pretty hopeless, pretty helpless. He can't do anything. But then he ends up the second most powerful man in the nation of Egypt, meets his brothers who once upon a time sold him into slavery. Now the, 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 you know, the positions have turned. He reveals himself to them and he says, what well, you intended for evil, God used for the good, the saving of many lives. God works behind the scenes. God works for the good of those who love him. So the story continues that Boaz shows up on the field and notices Ruth gleaning on his field. He proceeds to ask the overseer who she was, and he explains, hey, that's Ruth. She came back from Naomi, from Moab, and she's been here gleaning in the field since morning. It says this, verse 8, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And where, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So at this she bowed down her, with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told about all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love, I love how Ruth responds. Why have I found such favor in your eyes? Why have I found such favor in your eyes? Now, notice what the favor is, right? She's, 
She's picking the remaining amounts in the field. She's gleaning behind the harvesters. She's not in prosperity and wealth. Right? She doesn't have a full bank account. She doesn't have a vacation plan. She doesn't have a cottage in the north or one in the south, which would be amazing about now, right? She doesn't have that. Her favor is in God's providence in a time of hopelessness. God's favor is hope in hopelessness. God's favor is never intended to lift us out of a bad situation. Sometimes we think that, but it's intended to give us hope in the situation. J.K. Chesterton, I think I've shared this before because I love this quote. It says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it's no virtue at all. That's when hope is hope. Hope isn't when you're just in a good situation. You're like, man, I hope I get win the lottery. You know, I, I, hope, I, I hope I come out of this and it's going to be good. It's, it's not wishful thinking. Hope is in hopelessness. Hope is in hopelessness. And sometimes we think, of, we think of favor as a material blessing, but, but God's favor for Naomi was not being kicked off the field. You're not going to be kicked off the field, but you can stay and you can continue to glean in safety. That's where she's like, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have I found favor in your eyes? And he says, I've, I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law. I, I hear about your good deeds. I've heard about the sacrifices you've made. I've heard about, about how you left your family and your mother and your homeland to come to a place you did not know and a people you do not know. I've, I've heard about what you did for somebody else when you're suffering and hopeless yourself. Remember that Naomi, or Ruth, sorry, had lost her husband. She's in a, in a helpless, suffering position, and she's helping someone else, and he's like, I heard about that. You have found favor because of your faithfulness. See, Favor falls on the faithful. Favor falls on the faithful. We want favor without faithfulness, though, right? We want, we want favor without the good deeds. We want favor without the sacrifices. We just want the blessing. God, I just want, I just want your favor. I just want your blessing. But then we don't actually show any faithfulness. We don't put it in actually work. But favor comes to the faithful. And faithfulness is constant loyalty, not momentary obedience. We can't expect to get favor from God from a moment of obedience. It's like a child who's like, but I did this. It's like, yes, you did this, but two seconds ago you did this, this, and this, and this. Favor comes to the faithful, and faithfulness is over time, not moments of obedience. When I recommitted my life back to God, I walked away from God and church and all things religion and Christianity in high school, most of high school, and I recommitted my life back to God in my first year of, of college, studying business. I was 18 years old, and I started to help out with a youth and young adult program that had impacted me. I served where I was impacted. And my job was to set up the chairs. And I hated that job. <laughs> I felt above that job. I felt like that was a small task. Because I was looking at my friends who I had built relationships with and was hanging out with, and they had all these cool responsibilities, right? I don't even remember what they were. I just remember they felt like they were cool responsibilities. And they, they were asked repeatedly by the pastor and the leadership team to do these different things that just felt like they were respectable positions. And I hated setting up the chairs, week in and week out, setting up the chairs. And my sister says to me one day, she says, Call, if you are faithful here, you will find favor. And I would like to say that that talk inspired me. 
that I became the best chair setter upper there ever was. And I set those chairs up like nobody ever set those chairs up before. I did, but I didn't like it. I hated it. I hated it. But I was faithful, and I did it. And I actually learned to lean into my position. I learned to lean into my role and my responsibility because I began to realize that if I don't set up these chairs, then people aren't going to connect. People aren't going to sit down and hear the gospel being preached. Students, youth aren't going to worship because in our Canadian culture and society, for whatever reason, we have to stand in rows, right? We can't step out of the chairs because that would just be a no-no. You can step out of the chairs and worship, just so you know. But I hated it, but I leaned into my role, and I began to find joy in it. And then over time, because I was faithful with my responsibility, I gained favor with the leadership, and I was given the responsibility of other things. Leading missions trips by myself to Mexico, 20 years old. Groups, responsibility, preaching to the, to the, the junior high group. You get to do this. You don't even have to be there? Yeah, because I was faithful. Ruth found favor because of her faithfulness to Naomi, even when it meant leaving a land she knew and living with a people she did not, which meant that her, her, her faithfulness turned into a hope, right? Her faithfulness resulted in favor, which gave her hope. When she's stepping on that field just trying to find some food, Boaz is like, hey, you stay here, and you can come eat food, and if you're thirsty, come get some drink, and we're going to keep you safe. All of a sudden, it goes from just gleaning some food and being faithful to Naomi because she loved her and she's getting favor and now she's finding some hope in her hopelessness. She's in a, in a position of helplessness and she's finding hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Psalms chapter 5 says this, Surely, Lord, you will bless the righteous. You will surround them with your favor as a shield. Now look at Boaz in all this situation. Boaz is showing generosity and hospitality above and beyond. He's helping her out and some, right? He's, he's going the extra mile. Boaz, catch this, has literally become the embodiment of hope for Ruth. He's hope personified. Remember, Ruth lost her husband. She's a foreigner in a foreign land. She has nothing to her name. And here's Boaz going, being generous beyond what is actually required of him. We lived in a, I lived in a small town called Stainer, and that was where I had my first pastoring position in this church. And when I first moved there, I found this apartment, this basement apartment that was, no, not much, but it was clean, and it was fairly decent priced. And this is when Jody and I were dating. We, we had gotten engaged in the, in the journey somewhere there. But, uh, but I'm living in this apartment, in, or this basement apartment, and the, the landlord wanted to, they were living above us, but they wanted to rent out the above apartment so they can move across town. And so one day they had potential renters come in and their mother was showing these renters the, the upstairs space. So apparently the renters loved it. They wanted the whole house and they wanted it next week. So the mother comes down to me and says, they want the whole house, you need to be out by Friday. It was the beginning of the week. Excuse me? Did I hear you? And I remember sitting down with the, the actual landlords being like, you can't, you can't do this. And they felt bad. They're like, we know... We really want to rent out the whole house. What can we do? So we came to this agreement, and I was out in four or five days. Homeless. Helpless, hopeless, homeless. Our associate pastor was at Costco getting some Costco, you know, maybe some of those, like, 
samples because everybody knows you go to Costco just for the free samples, right? He was at Costco. I think it was Costco. And he, he had met the, the founding pastors of this church that I was pastoring in. I had never met them before. I had heard them about, about them. They had lived in the town just over called Wasaga Beach. And he explained to them the situation. They said, you know what? We've been, we've been trying to think of ways that we can bring in some extra cash. We'll take them. So in a week, they foregoed their entire basement. And, and it was cheaper for me to rent their basement. And they fed me dinner. Yeah, amen. They went above and beyond. They, went, they showed generosity above and beyond. Now catch this. Months and months go by, I get engaged to my beautiful wife. And we, we have a potential house that, or a, a house that we're going to rent out once we get married. It's not, it's being refinished at the time. But then she proceeds to look for work because we're five hours apart. We're living five hours apart. She doesn't live in town. She, lives, she lived in Windsor. I lived in Stainer, the Windsor area. So she's looking for work. She finds a job, but it starts earlier than when our apartment was ready for her to move in and live in there. And so do you know what? They said, those pastors that I was living in their basement, they said, she can take the room next to ours. She can take the room next to ours. So she moved into that room upstairs next to theirs, right next to their, don't worry, it's right next to their bedroom. They showed generosity above and beyond. They went above and beyond. They didn't need to. They didn't need to. Boaz embodied hope by being generous above and beyond. That's what he did, and he's a reflection of God. He's a type of Christ. By embodying that hope and going beyond what is required. You know, Jesus went above and beyond when he created you. Jesus went above and beyond when he created you because he created no one like you. You are unlike anybody else. Unlike anyone else. Jesus went above and beyond when he died on the cross for you. Because he took your place on the cross. Because of your sin, you're meant to be on that cross. But Jesus went above and beyond and took your place on the cross. Jesus went above and beyond by offering you a spot in eternity. The Bible says that there's no way to the Father except through him. And so he made a way for you to spend eternity with him. Jesus went above and beyond by promising to be with you in it all. Even in your hopeless, helpless situation. He says, I will be with you always the scriptures say it doesn't say I will be with you except for sometimes when I need to have a little rest I will be with you always except for you know those times when you're feeling really by yourself I'm not there I'll be with you always except for those times when you start to be mean towards me or you start to neglect me or you start to be unfaithful or maybe even use my name in vain I'm not with you then he didn't say that he says I will be with you always into the very end of the age that is a promise from Jesus going above and beyond above and beyond. What if we as individuals could be like this embody that hope for somebody else? What if as a church we could be that kind of hope to our region? Going above and beyond and not just the events like trunk or treat programs but as people going above and beyond. What if what if Parkway started to be known more in our region, not because we put on nice, fun events for families, but because the people of Parkway in their everyday lives are going above and beyond, and they're just connected to you, and you're connected to the church. 
and we, people start to say, I hear about the people at Parkway. They're different kind of people. They offer such hope. Man, they're like hope personified. It's like they're living hope. Living hope. Let me tell you, we're called to be like Boaz. I think there's people here that are like Ruth. You need some hope. And hope is here. I think there's people here who are called to be like Boaz, to extend hope, to be hope. And that means being generous above and beyond what is required of us. That means making the sacrifices. That means lending without expecting anything in return. That means going the extra mile. Offer hope to the hopeless, being generous. Why? Because God did that. You know, I said this earlier, I'll say it again. What if someone's first encounter with Jesus was through the hope you offered? Right? With the generosity. You know, I wonder how much details Boaz knew about Ruth's situation. He said, I heard about it, but maybe he didn't really know all the ins and outs. Maybe he was just a good man, good character. Because someone gleaning after harvesters on a, on a field meant that they were in need. Oh, you're in need. Stay. Get some food. Get some water. Come back because you're safe here. What if we did that? What if we saw needs? And not because someone told us, hey, so-and-so is like this and so-and-so is like this, but we just became people of good character, Christ-like nature. We just embodied hope in such a way that every person that encountered us, that whether we know it or not, or in a helpless or hopeless situation, they just felt hopeful because they were near us. Come on, right? I think that's what Boaz was. I know for a fact that's who Jesus was because people flocked to Jesus. And you notice, we look back on the story of Jesus and we know, hey, he's the son of man, he's the son of God. But during a lot of that time, they didn't know that. They just know that here's a man that's extending hope. He's doing things that nobody else does. I need to get to this man because he can offer hope in my hopeless situation. Maybe you're here today and you're in a hopeless situation. You're in a helpless situation. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. Maybe you find yourself alienated or forsaken, abandoned, forgotten, doomed, captive, helpless. Hope is here. And I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you because not only do I want you to have the hope, the glimmer of hope that Ruth had, but my prayer is going to be for the other people in this room that we begin to have the eyes of Christ and see the people in this room that don't have hope because we can't extend hope over there if we can't extend hope in here. If we can't extend hope to the people in this room, how can we extend hope to the people outside this room? So, would everyone stand for me, please? If that's you today, like I'm here, I got, I could use some hope. Would you just raise your hand? I'm not even asking you to close your eyes. Just raise your hand. You're like, I need a little hope. I need a little hope. Look around, church. We got a room full of people who need hope. It's okay. I need hope. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to believe in faith that you have some hope in your hopelessness. I want to believe in faith that there's provision coming for you. I believe in faith that God is going to provide. I'm believing in faith that a Boaz is going to come when you're gleaning on the field. 
and just give you a a little glimmer of favor. I believe in that this week, when you go and you face that situation, when you go through what you go through, all of a sudden you're like, why have I found favor? And that's because we believe in a God who extends favor. Amen. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for every single person who raised their hand, God, for those who are here and, and are in need of hope. And Lord, you know the situation. You know the field they're on. You know the, you know the food they're gleaning, Father God. You know, God, their background. You know, God, what's going on in and out. And so we pray to you, the God of hope, the living hope, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you would extend your favor, you'd extend your blessing. Lord, you'd give a glimmer, you'd give a, you'd give a, a lot, God, of light into those situations, God, in such a manner that this week those people, God, would be able to say, why have I found favor this week? And we could declare that hope is here and his name is Jesus and he is real and he is alive and he did die for our sins so that we could spend eternity with you but also offer abundant hope. And so in the name of Jesus, God, provide hope. And God, for the many of us that are here today, maybe we're already living in hope. We got fields like Boaz. Help us to be generous beyond what is required of us. Help us to extend the kind of hope the kind of generosity that that Boaz did, that that you did for us, Lord, and continue to do. And I pray, God, that hope would come to our region, that hope would come to to St. Clair Township, God, to to Sarnia, God, to Lambton County, Lord, to to this whole area, because this little church is choosing to embody hope in the same way that that Boaz did, in the same way that you do, Lord, in the name of Jesus. So help us to be proactive in Jesus' name by extending that hope. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.